Welcome to this brand new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Mark van Horek and myself, Elias Krum, and brought to you by Marketing Guys, the MarTech agency based out of the Netherlands. Welcome to this new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast, on which we're going to have a different discussion today. It's going to be about pricing. It's a topic we don't discuss a lot, and we're going to have that discussion, uh, Dan and me, uh, on the podcast today, uh, Dan Dan Belkowski, who is the founder of Product Tranquility, based out of Austin. First of all, could you do a brief introduction of yourself, Dan? Yeah, hey, Elias, great to be here. Excited to have a conversation today and uh, talk to your audience. So my name is Dan Balkowski. As you mentioned, I'm the founder and chief pricing officer of a consultancy based in Austin, Texas, and we help high volume B2B SaaS CEOs define pricing and packaging for new and existing products. That's quick. That's quick. That's a quick introduction. So you've, <laughs> you've practiced your elevator pitch. Um, Dan, uh, that's a lot of info in, in 30 seconds. Um, pricing for SaaS company. So software as a service companies. And the first thing that comes to mind when I think about pricing and SaaS company is that they just make up pricing. Um, I could be completely wrong, but I've worked at a, at SaaS companies. I've worked with SaaS company, and I don't see practiced a lot from what I learned in school about pricing. Is that true? It's much less rigorous than I think you and I both would agree is desirable. Mm -hmm. There is, I think it's changing over time. I think there is more and more formality being applied to the process. I look at it very similar to product management. You know, if you look at product management 20, 30 years ago, it was a bit of the Wild West. And you know, over time, there's been many books and boot camp courses and other kinds of training that has been applied to that to turn it into a actual structured type of role. And I think the same thing is happening to pricing over time. It's taking a little bit longer, but it's on the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Back in school, for me, that's quite some time ago, right? In the 90s, I learned a lot about pricing. You know, you had the four Ps in marketing, and one of them is pricing. The other ones we pay a lot more attention to as marketers, I guess, because we, we talk a lot about promotion and about the product and about distribution and how to sell the product, but we don't talk about pricing that much. So the things that I remember from school about pricing – uh, contain stuff like like elasticity and bottom up pricing, um, price pricing based on costs, etc. So, when I look at prices spe specifically for SaaS companies who have monthly pricing and yearly pricing, how how do you come to effective pricing with those company owners? Yeah, so there's a bunch of different subtopics that you mentioned there. So maybe we'll take it one at a time and kind of see which direction is the most natural. Overall, what I would say is like when it comes to SaaS pricing, most executives think that what you charge determines your success. In fact, who and how you charge determines your success. So if I was advising companies, I would tell them to spend most of your time on what the price tag goes on and much less time on what number goes on the price tag. You mentioned things like, you know, the price elasticity. Elasticity is an interesting concept. I view it a lot like the Sasquatch. A lot of people have 
heard of the Sasquatch, but not many have seen them in practice. And especially by world of B2B SaaS, a true elasticity curve is quite hard, if not impossible to come by. Mm-hmm. But I think it it frames the question in the wrong direction. It's often much more important to really understand who are we serving? What are the customer segments? Because different customer segments will value our product differently. They have different contexts and constraints that dictate how they value our product and how we price. So the all the elements of, of packaging and in SaaS, those are things like our offer configurations or bundles or a price metric or our pricing model or our price fences. So those elements tend to be much more important than what people tend to focus on, which is the price level. You know, I start a lot of these conversations with clients that come to me like, hey, we're you know, $20 a user. Should it be $20? Should it be $100? Should it be $29.95? So our prices ends in fives and nines. And I think I really, those are fun conversations and I'd love to have them, but they really mm-hmm. put the focus in the wrong place. So are you are you telling me that you should focus on differentiated pricing? rather than one price is that is am i understanding that right so so who you're selling to is more more important than um what you're selling yeah so i have sort of an overall model that i use for saas pricing it's called the uh services model so i've mm-hmm. seen companies usually face four significant challenges when they try to tackle pricing they have an unclear target customer profile they don't understand what customers they're serving they have a poor understanding of how they create customer value they're unclear about their product's unique differentiation. And finally, they have a general underappreciation for the depth of the decisions that go into a strong pricing and packaging approach. Mm-hmm. Again, as I mentioned, we tend to think about pricing as a decision mainly around that price level and neglect many other factors. So this situation led me to create my services model for SaaS pricing. It stands for the four components of the model, SVCS. I promise it's a happy accident. I didn't plan it that way. But mm-hmm. the four components are segments, value, competition, and strategy. So we need to under- consider our customer segments first. The context individual segments or customers are in is critical. So they'll dictate the constraints they're facing and which value drivers they view as most important. To get in the second part of the model, each segment will rank order value drivers differently. It causes them to value your product differently. And the third part, we need to consider the competition. Different segments will have different competitive alternatives that are available to them. And what would they use if your company did not exist? So we can think of these first three elements segments, value, and competition as our Mm -hmm. inputs to the overall pricing process. Because your pricing power really comes from the differentiated value you create for a particular segment beyond the competitive alternatives available. So those three elements filter down into the strategy component. I use strategy in the Michael Porter sense of the word. Strategy is about trade-offs. Many companies would like to be everything to everyone, but we have to make decisions. We have to decide. What customer segments will we serve given the available segments in the market? You know, where are we best suited to play and win? Like, who are we going to target? How do we position ourselves in these customer minds to clarify our differentiated value? And then how do we make all the necessary trade-offs among the different elements of SaaS packaging, price metrics, price model, offer configurations, et cetera? You know, these inputs will also help inform our choice of a price level, the number we set to help achieve overall business objectives. So... I might be wrong because that's a long time ago, the Porter model. But when, if I remember well, there were like three strategies that you can use from Porter, right? So it's either uh, price or differentiated or a focus strategy, right? That's the Porter model, right? Is, am I correct there or am I, am I referring to the wrong model here? Uh, Porter had several different approaches that I think he often gets misattributed and misquoted. I mean, I think most famously when he's, uh, people think of Porter, they tend to think of the five forces mm-hmm. uh, strat- aspect for competitive strategy. Yeah. So, um, you're, you're using that in your strategy model, in your SVCS, uh, model. Um, can 
people that listen to the podcast find that on your website? Do, can I include a link in the show notes? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I have uh, a lot of blogs that I write in depth about these topics on my website at producttranquility.com. So I have a blog section there. Uh, and I off, off, always write a recap of our discussions like this. So uh, worst case, cool. people could could watch this recap and, and see the recap blog. Cool. Can you give some examples of customers that you have advised on uh, and what kind of results they were seeing, maybe improvements in profits or maybe improvements in revenues that they came to after having consulted you? Yeah, so it's uh, it's difficult, right? Because the the uh, I think there's there's overall sort of arch, overarching studies of what uh, results people tend to get from pricing, but those tend to be you know large sample abstracts, and there's so many aspects of pricing and execution, right? So there's there's like what does the uh, what does the strategy recommend? What is the implementation of that? Um, so it would be far be it for me to take uh, credit for. Uh, the results of uh, mm-hmm. results of clients sort of much beyond, you know, it's the consultant's curse in many ways we could advise, but we never are responsible for implementation at the end of the day. So uh, that being said, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to see an acceleration of, you know, 20% growth in ARR, um, you know, consistently. Uh, and it can be much accelerated from that. Like, because if you think about pricing and packaging, really what we're doing when we're, taking a really rigorous look at, especially packaging, is we're aligning the packaging to the value story. So it makes the entire sales motion more efficient. So if you, but the thing is that that's wrong in some critical manner, they could really be sand in the gears of your customer acquisition engine. Uh, One scenario that I've run into is like, if you imagine a a sales uh, rep talking to a prospect, they're talking about you know the customer situation and the problem they're trying to solve, and their salesman is like, "Oh, that's great! We solve that kind of problem for customers all the time. Um, you know, here's here's how that works. Here's how it will help you, sort of in your day to day." And they go, "That sounds great. Now, how is this thing priced?" And they go, "Oh, well, uh, how many Gubenthorps do you have in your environment?" And guys like, "What's well, a?" Gubenthorpe. It's like, well, well, we count the number of Gubenthorps that you have, uh, and that's how we price this, right? And all of a sudden, you know, a Gubenthorpe has just made it up. But mm-hmm. co- companies do this all the time of like, well, there's this, there's this other thing that is completely disconnected from the conversation we just had. And now I have to educate you on that thing, right? That usually has some implementation detail tied to how I built my product. And you can imagine this hard right turn, right? That, that companies have, to, or that the, the prospects and the salespeople just had to take, right? Because the the value of the way it was priced were not in line, right? So the whole conversation sort of took a hard right turn. Yeah. So, you know, you can see, you know, m- you know, multiples, uh, order of magnitude increases in, in, in ARR are not necessarily, uh, you know, unheard of. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a very recognizable example that you're giving there. Uh, in MarTech, we we see this all the time, right? People uh, coming up with very difficult pricing. Um, so some examples that I've seen is um, you're talking about the, uh, or we are talking about the benefits of marketing automation. How does this going to help you? How does it efficient? How does, how does this going to make your whole life easier? And then they ask you, people and marketers ask, how is this price? Well, I, I need to have your active contacts. How many active contacts do you have? And they're like, like what? Active, active contact? What's an active contact? And, you know, HubSpot wants to know that. Marketo wants to know that. Acton wants to know that. 
Um, so that's that's one of those examples where where it's hard to explain. And the other one that I'm seeing sometimes with the well bigger software solutions that are also uh, well also SaaS uh, is they have a um, a customer based price. Have you have you heard about that? Explain more, but I believe so. I just don't want to misinterpret what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's it's well to me. It, it sounds quite unbelievable, but it's 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 the same product, but it's priced for different customers. So um, you, I think you were hinting on it as well, but it's it's a solution. You know, you're buying a a, a, a marketing and a, 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 well, it could be an account based marketing software solution. Um, and when you ask for pricing, they're like, "Yeah, I need to go back to to office to the office, call back into management, and see how we price this for you." So it's it's they call that a customer based pricing, where they mm-hmm. say, "Hey, if you're Mercedes." <laughs> You're probably a luxury brand, so you're paying more than when you're like a like a, a cheaper brand. Mm, mm. Mm. Well, so, so I think <laughs> there's a few things you said there. So I think you know, kind of tying back to something you hinted at in your your original question was you're talking about like what's an effective price. So overall, an effective price you know helps you capture fair value for the value you deliver and maximizes your company's long term profitability. Yeah. Long term, there you know if you're a startup that's got <laughs> three weeks of runway, your long term might differ significantly from a Fortune 500 company that's in, you know planning cycles of, of five or 10 years, right? But I think there's something you're hinting at here is like elements of good pricing. And I think there's, there's a couple that uh, I really think are important, which is, you know, it's fair, consistent, and transparent. So and I think you're really hinting on this element of, of fairness because people hear this and they're like, okay, is it is it fair to uh, often we call this price differentiation. Uh, sometimes in the literature, it's also called price discrimination. And you know, people hear that discrimination. That's a very loaded emotional word. Um, but we do it all the time, and we and we we expect it, right? You see, uh, you know, airlines differentiate based upon that that when you buy your ticket, right? You see prices change. They tend to get more expensive if you need to buy a last minute ticket. Why do they do that? It's because the business traveler tends to have a uncertain schedule and tends to have to make plans immediately. The the leisure uh, personal traveler usually has more planning advance. So it's a way for them to differentiate. They used to have more you know, advanced rules of requiring a, a Saturday stayover, et cetera. But we see this all the time, right? And uh, we see uh, if, if I go on a bus, uh, I'm going to pay one fare for my bus, but a student or a senior citizen is going to pay a different fare, right? We don't get angry about that. That's the, but because that uh, aligns with with social norms, right? There's mm-hmm. there's social norms of fairness, um, you know. And and some of these elements that we might think through are are price and value in line, and do we do we share value in a balanced way? It's not a zero sum game, like I win, you lose, right? It's like, uh, and I think the cardinal rule of fairness overall is you know, don't increase your profit at my expense. I think where we see this uh, very uh, excessively is, you know, if there's a natural disaster, say there's a hurricane in New Orleans and uh, all of a sudden, you know, all the gas stations raise their prices, you know, for gas or for bottled water, right? That violates some deep-seated social norms inside of us, right? And we view that as patently unfair. But, you know, that same price increase, you know, absent the storm, you know, might be like, hey, well, like, uh, you know, there's a war in the Middle East and like the, you know, OPEC decided to constrain supply. And so you know, that same uh, level of price increase, if there's a different rationale behind it, we we accept, right? Sounds and so, fair. Sounds fair, right? And so uh, it's it's fascinating because I'm actually reading a book about this uh, that's that 
sort of elaborating this. And I think we actually just saw this. Uh, if anyone's been paying attention, I don't want to make this. I, I do want to have evergreen content for you. But the idea is uh, Reddit has been going through this, uh, where, where Reddit over the past uh, month has had a war on its hands because they increased the or they started charging for access to their API. And they had a full on revolt. So they have unpaid moderators uh, that moderate all their discussion forums. And uh, they were not happy with Reddit's change. It doesn't sound fair. It doesn't sound fair. 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 It's not fair. So so the thing is, there's a couple of elements here, right? So, you know, it's not just because I think what you were talking about before is like, look, is there's your Mercedes or whoever, like, is that fair? It's like, well, you have to look at a couple of different scenarios. And I think one of them is, is like, is the, do people perceive the outcome as fair? Right. Does it violate my personal sense of fairness? And if if it does, I don't I don't I don't go to step two. But then it's then it goes, okay, is this socially fair? Right. So, you know, and one of the things we look at socially fair is okay, well, the outcome doesn't look fair. Is it is it is it follow rules of, of social uh like equitability, right? Is it are you are you impinging on one group in favor of another, right? And is there not a good rationale for that? You know, is there then we start to look at things like the process. One of those things is uh, what called a, a voice and choice is like, were, was I as a customer consulted in that, right? Um, you know, it's, it's so many, for example, let's tie back to SaaS real quick. Many companies have offer bundles or configurations in a good, better, best format, right? So you go to the pricing page mm-hmm. and you have the starter plan, the team plan, the enterprise plan, right? I'm sure you've seen a million diamond, of them. Platinum, uh, ti- yeah. <laughs> exactly. Diamond, platinum, gold, whatever uh, you want to put, you know, a VIP, whatever whatever label you want to throw on it, you fancy marketers do. And, and look, we don't get angry. It's like, oh, they're what they're doing, they're doing price differentiation. Some people value these sets of features. They're willing to pay more. Others don't. Because we feel like we have a choice there, right? And it's like, okay, hey, it's visible to us and I can choose. Do I want to pay more for more value or I I want the the option with less value for less price? Um, Similarly, you know, were the customers consulted when those pricing plans were brought in, right? And this is something I advise clients to do, especially at B2B. You might have a 20% of your customer base that makes up 80% of your revenue because you've got a Mercedes Benz or a JP Morgan Mm -hmm. or a Disney, you know, account. And it's, you know, very, very different than B2C, right? Netflix, I bet all customers pretty much pay about the same, but you go to the B2B and it's not, not quite the same. So, you know, were those big customers consulted be like, Hey, here's what we're thinking for our pricing and packaging changes. Tell us what we're missing. Why is it, you know, does this, you know, is there anything you strongly react to that we're not seeing? Like, well, you know, you're making this change and that's not fair because X, Y, Z. Okay. Got it. So if we did it this way, would that be better? You know, so you can work through those things. And then when the and then when the change rolled out, those people feel like they had a choice. They had a voice in the matter, right? They helped shape the policy. So they feel better behind it. So these are some of the things we need to think of. We, you know, fairness just sort of gets gets lumped together. Uh, but you know, the other I think other interesting element we should touch on here is you know, if we are if we treat people fairly over time, and I really believe one of the values of the subscription model. This really helps us align the business with a customer because we're we're the customer relationship. We need them to renew in order to make the math work, in order to make the PL financial numbers work. You know, so we really want to make sure that we're playing a fair, iterated game. And over time that builds trust. And that trust is 
a marketable good, right? It allows us to, you know, that reduces transaction costs in the market, right? It allows us to uh, do things like customers writing us testimonials, which makes the next sale easier to the next customer that doesn't know us, et cetera, right? So those are some of the things that we want to think about over time, right? It's not just, can we get away with this once in a subscription world? I don't think that works is you need to have a demonstrated behavior of of showing and being perceived as fair uh, and that over time builds trust which is how people view sort of your uh, how they view you'll be fair to them in the future so i love the perspectives you're giving here uh, here dan so um and it it makes me also well it it also changes my own perspectives on perspective on how this is this price so i love this so um we're we're through our time already but I do want to ask, uh, touch on one more topic, uh, inflation uh, and uh, the budget freezes that people or B2B companies are seeing at the moment. But um, inflation is is all around in, in the US. It's down a little now, I think, in, in Europe. It's still around 6 7%. Um, and um, there's also a lot of camp- complaints that you hear um, in B2B, in B2C, about companies basically using inflation to, well, in 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 uh, well, come with price increases that are not justifiable by inflation only. So, how how would you advise B2B SaaS companies to? cope with inflation and price increases so that's i i understand it's a broad question but how do you avoid customers to be angry how do you avoid them to perceive you as uh being greedy etc so is there is there some generic tips that you can share yeah no it's a great question and i will give you i know we're running short on time so i'll give you the truncated answer anyone who's curious in the long answer um, I wrote a very in-depth blog post on this topic. It's a four or five thousand word blog post. So uh, I'll put folks it in want the show the, notes. Well, the in-depth one, they can go there. But uh, so your your question is is really, I think, on the on the rollout. You know, I, a couple of things. One is uh, first on the on a goal. Any any pricing change should always be accompanied by a clear goal you're trying to achieve with that change. And any pricing change, you really need to evaluate two things. So what is your difference in expected revenue? And what is your difference in expected costs? And the expected costs can be all of the costs of rolling out a change and, and researching it, what a change could be, et cetera, right? So there's going to be essentially research costs. There's going to be uh, implementation costs, right? And then there's going to be uh, notification costs, train, retraining Salesforce, et cetera, right? So those are all costs you should probably be considering, not just the, the variable uh, unit cost of additional sales. When you're thinking about the rollout plan, I think it's really important that we delineate our rationale internally and create a rollout plan. Um, one thing, you know, we hinted at this a little bit in in the services model, but in this model, I think you, know, you could apply the segmentation at this level as well, right? You're going to, you know, we talked about it before with the, uh, you, know, you might have a different conversation with JP Morgan or Mercedes Benz or Disney, right? Um, I may uh, determine that, hey, we're going to roll out this change first on our, you know, we're going to segment our customers based upon, you know, ACV, right? Annual contract value, right? And we're going to take the, you know, the bottom 20% first, right? In terms of, and then we're going to, we're going to, 
listen for feedback. We're going to understand where we're not prepared for counter arguments, where we're, where our rationale is not resonating. And then we're going to, we're going to iterate through, right? So we don't put the, the major customers at risk first, right? So we want to think of this as a risk mitigation strategy. Um, prepping your sales team, you know, as a responsibility of marketers, you know, enabling your sales team with proper communication and tools, right? Do they have give gets? Do they know how the negotiations are generally going to go? Do they know how to respond to the objections they might receive? Uh, do they have outlets, right? What is their escalation strategy? How do you, how are you going to enable your sales front end team to feedback what they're hearing as this change rolls out to the executive team so that you can make the updates in semi real time to, you know, before you completely burn the customer base, you know, and then uh, ultimately, right. You execute monitor manage, right. Like any change uh, in your organization, right. So what are the KPIs you, know, you, you, you try, we're trying to achieve a high level goal. Okay. We expected this, you know, we expected X amount of churn from this change. We expected this amount of change to conversion. All right, what are we seeing? All right, now next phase, you know, in monitoring and uh, making adjustments as you go along that. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's very hands-on advice that people can start using. I will put a link to your blog because you have an, a, a very extensive blog post on this, which I, which I noticed on your website. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and with that, I would like to thank you, Dan, for being on the Marketing Technology Podcast. Um, I'll also include a link to your LinkedIn profile so people that want to reach out to you uh, can actually find you on LinkedIn or on your website. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you for having me, Elias. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform or iTunes. Also, if you want to be a guest or know someone that should be a guest to our show, shoot me an email on e.crum at marketingguys.nl. Thank you for listening.